I will just tell you that, just quickly, that that last blank, if it's still bothering you, is the disruption of inclusion. The disruption of inclusion that Jesus caused. Whenever they're at the end of John chapter 11, uh, the high priest had, had prophesied that Jesus would die for everyone and that the, the, the writer John uh, includes the idea that this was to also include all of the children of God and those who were scattered abroad to other places, which was a pretty unusual idea in the Jewish thought that people in the Gentile community or those others scattered about uh, could be a part. So if you're interested or, or need to go back to that, uh, you can take a look, and if you want to talk about it, I'll be glad to talk. But it is a fairly disruptive idea that, in other words, that Jesus' death and resurrection included not only Jewish people, but Gentiles. And uh, any study at that particular time, the, the animosity that is in our world today would be right along the same lines. Uh, people uh, with their hatred for certain groups and certain people, uh, right along that line, that Jewish, the Jewish idea of the inclusion of the Gentiles is unthinkable. And so uh, that was kind of that last disruptive part. I want to look at John chapter 12 now, which is a <clears throat> sometime after the resurrection of Lazarus uh, from the dead. And under this idea of this uh, matter of conversations with Jesus, uh, I want to <clears throat> begin by looking at these verses. And I'm just going to read the first few here in chapter 12 where these are recorded. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving. Uh, kind of common, isn't it? But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped them with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was intending to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Now when he said this, it was not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he, had, he was a thief and he had the money box. He used to pilfer what was put into it. Therefore Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you don't always have me. So we're going to look at this uh, passage here, and when I studied it and was working through it, I, I really began to see uh, what I would call a, a kind of a conflict or a, a challenging of values, a challenging of values. Now, I, I think that in our life, my life at least, and most of our lives, that one of the bit real challenges is to live out what we say is important to us, isn't it? To, to, to really live out our values. I mean, I have a long list of values and priorities, and it's amazing to me how often I don't do anything about it. I say it's important. I, I declare it. Uh, but, but for things to have value, it reminded me when I was a kid, uh, uh, my dad was a pastor in East Texas, and uh, he had a rank, we, we lived in a parsonage. You know, that's how churches keep pastors in poverty. And, uh, and uh, we had a parsonage we lived in for free. Uh, and my dad had an, a, a kind of an elaborate buzz bell in the house to the church. Back then it was elaborate. I mean, you know, we're talking about 1963. Uh, and, and so he had this bell system, a buzzer thing that he would buzz. And if, and, it went to, and if my mom got one buzz, it meant he wanted a cup of coffee. And two buzzes, I think, was, uh, is lunch ready. And three buzzes was keep an eye on Cliff. And, 
you know, so, so it was kind of a thing where, you know, uh, that was kind of the thing. And so uh, one day I'm home during the, the summer. My dad used to always tell me that, uh, uh, you know, I, I was the kind of kid that he always hung above the disciplinary uh, strap. I need thee every hour. <laughs> it kind of hurt my feelings. <laughs> Uh, uh, but my dad uh, w- was a, a, a very a careful manager of money. And, and I remember that one day we were in Longview, Texas, where we used to go to buy groceries and stuff like that. We lived in this old town called Kilgore. And uh, we went to a Kmart, and I saw a bicycle there, one that had not been uh, scavenged. <laughs> my bike was the result of several bicycles put together. Uh, and it was a pretty old bike, and I saw this bike. It was a Huffy. I can still see it in my mind's eye. It was a black and white Huffy with a basket. I, I hadn't really developed all of my manliness at that point yet. <laughs> had, I, had I thought about that, I said, no, n- no basket. <laughs> no. It looked cool then, you know, when you're, when you're nine. Had a basket, streamers, and it actually had a reflector on the, and it had fenders, uh, which I had never seen on a bicycle. <laughs> Anyway, I just said to my dad, oh, dad, I would love to have that bike. And, and you know, I, I knew it was about $40. And my dad at that time was pastoring a church in Kilgore, Texas, where they said, we'll pay you $40 a week and let you live in the parsonage if the money comes in. And so that was the deal. You know, if it came in, he got paid. Uh, luckily, he did. I looked at that and I thought, oh, my goodness, what, what, what value uh, of this bike? It, it was worth a week's salary. We're going to look here in a minute at somebody who did something that took a year's salary to do. And I remember I just had a fit. I said, oh, Dad, I need this bike. I need this bike, you know, pleading. I didn't get anywhere. So a few days later, uh, we were home in the summer, and my mother said, your dad buzzed and wants to see you over at the church in the, in the, in the uh, fellowship hall. My first thought, I mean, I, I was a pretty rambunctious kid. Uh, you can imagine that a little bit. And I remember thinking, I, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. I'm about nine years old. I'm thinking, my dad's going to kill me. <laughs> He's found out I had been smoking with a friend, you know, across the street. Yeah. Told me eat butter and they won't be able to. I ate a whole thing of butter one night. <laughs> Said it would kill the smell. I, I didn't have very good friends. <laughs> Hey, when your dad's making 40 bucks a week, you don't get to run in really high-class circles. <laughs> so, so we get over there, and, I, and, all, and I'm, I'm really around the corner. I'm thinking, uh, you know, he's got me in the fellowship hall where it's a big room. There's knives and all kinds of stuff. He's probably found it, and he's going to kill me, put me in the freezer. <laughs> I have a wild imagination, but I'm, I'm not kidding you. At nine years old, I'm thinking, this, this is it, man. It's dark, and I like that. And, you know, and I'm thinking, what, what, what has he found out? It's not what have I done. It's what has he found out. So I'm around in the corner like this, and all of a sudden, I see my dad standing there. You know what it was, don't you? That huffy bicycle. And I looked at that, and my dad, smiling from ear to ear, said, son, I want you to have this bike. And, and, and I, I was stunned. I, 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 I mean, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I knew the value of this thing. I knew what it cost him. I, I knew the amount. I, I could do the math back then still, you know, in the, four, in the fifth grade, you, you know, you can do $40. And, and, and you know, it's, what's funny about that bike, I, I remember riding it. I, I don't remember what I ended up doing with it. I don't know where it was or what happened. I, did I trade it in on a Stingray or something? I don't know. 
Uh, but but I, I told my dad years and years later, I said to him, I said, I don't know where that bike is. It's probably in a landfill somewhere. But that bike today means more to me than it did when I was 10. That, that value. You know what? In this story, I just want to have you look at a couple of things here real quick. I'm going to, I'm going to try to walk around a couple of things. Is the value here is the devotion of Mary. If you look in this story, and I'm going, to, I'm going to talk about it, there are some differences in this story and in Matthew and, and, and Mark. And I'll, I'll try to address that in, in due time. But at this point, Mary reveals something here whenever this a wonderful party or, or, or whatever it was, this dinner, if you will, uh, that, that Mary had brought this pound, if you will, of perfume. Uh, New American Standard says this, of, of pure nard. It's called spike nard. And it's a, it's a perfume that is the, the most expensive. Uh, Pliné the younger, who was a, a son of Pliné the older. That's bad, isn't it? Yeah. That's not history, actually. But he was named Pliné the younger. He was a historian, and he, and he made the comment at times that he wrote about the Christians and like that, that the only spikenard perfume in the world that outdid what Mary had from Syria was the spikenard that they harvested from India. And this was considered one of the most precious and one of the most valuable kinds of perfume that she had. Uh, The story tells us that whenever Jesus was sitting there, that she took that vial, uh, in Mark, Matthew calls it an alabaster uh, 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 container. She, She takes that vial and breaks it of a pound. Now, Becky and I were going to bring something. I, I have a, a, a shampoo thing. Did, did we forget that? Yeah. A pound of this. And I said, how many ounces are in a pound? She said 16. So I, she's my research assistant on this one. So if we're right. I got a, yeah, I got a bottle about this big of, of shampoo that I buy. It's 16.9 ounces. And take a little bit out of that, and it's, it's a bottle about this big, tall, about that big around. A pound of this stuff. Uh, John tells us that, that Mary took this and as Jesus was sitting there, broke it and poured it out on him. Now, he, he comments on that, of this matter of this matter of devotion. We see Mary throughout the Gospels and she seems incredibly devoted to Jesus. In other accounts, she's sitting at his feet whenever he's teaching. That, that may play into this. He, 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 she's sitting at his feet earlier, listening to to Jesus. The, the, the place of the feet is the place of servanthood. It really is the place of abject humility. In the ancient Near East and even to this day, if you put your feet on anybody or get around their feet, it is the indication of incredible humility. And it can be the, the symbol of, hum, of incredible disdain. Remember when we were uh, in uh, uh, Iraq in our first one and, and they started shoeing or putting their shoes on the statue of Saddam Hussein? The idea of the feet, the, the foot is, is a place of great humility. Mary is at his feet. And she takes this incredible portion, if you will, of this perfume. And she breaks it on his uh, body and feet and pours it on him. Now notice here it says uh, this. So uh, here's what I want, you, I want you to understand about Mary, her devotion. Number one, and I, uh, a good friend of mine, Gerald Marvel, who died some years ago, uh, shared this idea. She gave the best that she had. She gave the best that she had. This is quite, if you will, amazing that 
she takes something so precious it would require 300 days. A day. It says, it says there, see, it says that it was worth how much? 300 denarii. She anointed his feet. That would suggest that this, a denarii or denarius, was what a common laborer was paid for a day's work. A day. You, may, you, you probably already know that. Think about it though. If you take the Sabbaths out and the other holy days, this is equal to a year's salary. A year's salary. I did a little research. According to the Oklahoma census in 2010, the median salary or the middle, you know, you've got the gazillionaires up here and some of us down there and in the middle, the median salary in 2010 Oklahoma was $47,691. That's the median. 16% of Oklahoma people live below the poverty line. Did you know that? It's higher than the national average. 16% of people in Oklahoma, 16.9 as opposed to 15.4, Oklahomans live before, below the poverty level. So that means a family of four living at 24.2. Either way, however you cut it, if you're talking about people living at the poverty level, which these people may have been, you know, who, who knows their complete status, or if they lived at the median income of people in that day, this is an incredible amount of money. It's almost staggering. Here you are with Mary giving. I just wrote my note. Hey, that's a lot of money. <laughs> you know, that's, that's technical, isn't it? That's a lot of money. That Mary gives the best that she had. You know, isn't that interesting? This idea of giving and offering to Jesus our best. Not the leftovers, not, not what we can do later, but our best. It may not mean that you deed your house over. It may not mean, but it does mean that in this life, if you will, of devotion, it is the giving of the best. The, the giving of our best to Jesus. Now, last week I told you about, you can't do this if you don't see Jesus as the treasure. If you want to listen, that's a really important point here. That if you don't see Jesus as the treasure, you won't be a person that gives the best that you have. You'll, you'll be measured You'll be, you'll be, you'll be in some sense, you'll be calculating. I've watched this in myself at times if I'm not careful. You know, uh, I get paid and, uh, and uh, weekly, and you could spell that two or three different ways. <laughs> Come on. You paid weekly? I've watched myself at times when I'm getting my paycheck and everything together and, and start calculating my tithe. You know, is it going to be a dead on 10, 10%? Is it going to be dead on 10%? Don't dare, you know, get beyond that. That's, that's, that's what you have to be in the club. So that's the rule. But the idea of giving our best to Jesus, is that what our heart values? Giving Him the best? Mary, if you will, is an example of this. She pours it out. So she gives the best that she has. Now, watch this. I think this might help you. Is she gave the best to the best that she knew. She gave the best that she had to the best that she knew. I wonder about that. Is, is our giving, is our living, is our following Jesus the result 
of an understanding or a reality that this is the best one to give our lives to. I mean, I know that sounds a little silly in a church, but do we really believe that? That the giving of our lives, the giving of our influence and strength, whatever it is, it, it, that it is the greatest, the most wonderful thing to do with our lives, to give our lives, to give what we have to Jesus. Nate Saint and others said, only one life to live soon will be passed. Only what's done for God will last. Jim Elliott said, he is no fool to give what he cannot keep, to give what he cannot lose. That, that's, that sounds like crazy talk to us sometimes. But, but the idea of giving our life to the best that we know. I, I, I will tell you my own life, that's been a journey for me to come to that point to say that the best thing that I can do with my life is give it to Jesus. I probably told you this, but when we first moved here many years ago, there were like 190 students at Mid-America Christian University total. And you know, every... Once in a while, we wonder if we're going to make payroll. <laughs> and I remember uh, those days and uh, being a little nervous. I want to provide for Becky and, you know, I want to, I want to take care of her. And I want to be a responsible uh, uh, person. I remember one day in the summer when I had some time, I was sitting at my little desk. Uh, I had, I, we didn't have the money to buy a nice desk, so I, I got one of those church tables from the church. <laughs> you know one of those long ones? That was my desk. The problem with that is I'm a really messy person. And so the more room I have, the more I mess it up. <laughs> Becky wants to give me a card table to have a desk. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, you know, I, I gave up being a pastor, uh, 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 you know, a church that really loved me and, and cared about me. And uh, I, I was thinking back the other day, when I was a pastor in 1984, my church, they loved us. They really, well, they loved Becky. They just had to bring me, you know. Uh, my church in 1984 was putting $450 in my retirement account every month. I wouldn't be talking to you today here. I'd be in Florida if I'd stay there. <laughs> you know, I, I think $450 a month besides everything else in my retirement. So I left that. I wasn't sad. I, I was glad. But as I'm sitting at my office, I'm thinking, well, man, what if the school goes down? Am I going to lose my purpose for life? What if I lose my car? Am I going to lose my purpose? What if I lose my house? Am I going to lose my purpose in life? What if I lose my health? Am I, and I just started working down. Because you know what? All of those things can become realities, can't they? Working through those, I begin to say, wait a minute. What is your purpose in life, Cliff? What is it? It's to give your life to the best person you know. Jesus Christ. To pour your life out, to give your life in service, however that looks, whatever that looks like, in understanding, to give my life to the best that I knew. This is what Mary does. She knows of no one else, apparently, who is worth this. Now, there's some discussion as to whether or not maybe this uh, perfume uh, would be something that she would keep and have as an heirloom to use for her own burial. There's a lot of, uh, you know, discussion about that. I mean, not a question. Uh, one of the commentators suggests that Oriental or women in the Middle East back then uh, uh, loved wonderful perfume, you know. And you can imagine that with all the dirt and the lack of uh, cleanliness in that culture. You know, I, I'm always amazed when I watch a Western, how clean those people look. <laughs> Aren't you? 
except Clint Eastwood, because he's got to look tough. But, you know, you can imagine they would like to have that kind of perfume and, and stuff to do that. Or, or the other idea is that it would be kept for her own burial. And it, either way, however you cut it, whether it's perfume to make her smell good and, and be attractive in that culture, or it's to take that perfume and use it for her own burial. She knew there was somebody better to give it to. She knew there was somebody better to give it to. Who's your life being given to? Who's my life being given to? I hope the answer to that is, we've determined, we've established. It's Jesus. To give our lives, our influences, our all to Him. She really shows that, doesn't she? She, she shows this sense of devotion. Because Jesus said, if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. That's the fascinating thing I've seen. I'll tell you a story. It's a, 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 a family I know that lived by the rule, there's nothing more important than family. I heard that a few times from this particular family. And I said, that's not true. It's not. I know that goes against our grain in every area. But Jesus made some pretty stout statements on this. Again, remember I said last week, don't try this if you don't see Him as the treasure. Don't try to put everything else in order and put Jesus unless you see Him as the treasure. You can't do this. And I remember saying to myself and to some others, that just isn't true. It doesn't mean we shouldn't take care of our families and shouldn't love them and provide for them. Ultimately, the life we give is to the one we know that deserves it the most. What's fascinating is I watched this family over the years come completely unglued. Family is not enough to hold people's hearts and lives together. It's not enough. It's the power of Jesus Christ at the very... And I know this sounds a little harsh maybe, but I just want to say to you again, Jesus said, if you don't lose your life, and you can't do it again unless you see Him as the treasure, if you, or you try to hold on to it, you'll lose it. Here's a fascinating story about John Rockefeller. You know, the guy that discovered oil? No, the, the guy who became... He was the first American billionaire. At the age of 55, John Rockefeller was living a diet of soda crackers and milk because he was so seriously ill with digestive problems. He's the first billionaire ever in the world, and America's first billionaire. He was on a diet of soda crackers and, and milk, if you will. He was worrying about his money all the time. His doctor, now his doctor, told him, what you need to do, John, in order to get over this illness, is you need to quit worrying about your money and start giving it away. See, he's holding on to it so strongly. He began to give away, and in his lifetime, John D. Rockefeller, according to the New York Times, gave away $530,853,632 and lived to 98. His life was saved and spared by finally realizing, where do I give my life to? Take care of his family, take care of his kids, but you know what to say, you know what, my life's got to be about giving the best that I have to the best that I know. And then finally, this uh, third thing. She gave it the best way she could. <clears throat> she gave it the best way she could. 
this is amazing to me from this standpoint. It says here <clears throat> that she poured it out on him. The whole thing. She, she, she did this. She, she gave it the best way she could. And that was then and fully. Right at that moment and fully. I, I, it, it's amazing here that she wipes his uh, uh, feet with her hair. And this is scandalous. If you look here, it says, and she then took it and wiped his feet with her hair. No Jewish woman would ever unbind her hair in public. Ever. It was considered scandalous. But you know, devotion sometimes makes you do stuff. Sometimes when it says you give it the best way you can, this idea of her unbinding her hair and, and wiping his feet with her hair to, to sop up, if you will, all of this perfume, that she could then give it the best way she could. And it, the best way here is fully. You remember when Becky and I were dating, uh, we, we started dating because we had a mutual friend like that. And, and I remember uh, at one point in our dating life, I, 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 I nearly uh, was hospitalized uh, from the standpoint of sheer exhaustion. Because every moment I wanted to be with Becky. I mean, you looked at her and seen her, right? Can you tell that? You know, I want to be with her. I, the way I wanted to be with her was all the time, not just some of the time. And, and I remember, I, I, I thought, I've got to go to the doctor. I would lay down, couldn't go to sleep. I was exhausted from that. Now, it wasn't an exhaustion. Man, i got to go see Becky again tomorrow. You know, that's going to be so bad. It was that of giving all. She gave the best way she could. I wonder about me. Maybe you wonder about yourself. Does my devotion to Jesus look like this? Am I, am I a person whose devotion is I give the best that I have to the best that I know to the best way that I can? Is that, if you will, the value system that I have? My dad used to say, <clears throat> I'm not talking about tithing here, so relax. You know. and, but my dad would often say when he's a pastor, he said that the devotion that some people have is they are very careful to tip God and tithe to the waiter or waitress. That is a set amount, right? That is a set amount. But they would kind of tip God and tithe all the time. My dad was never accused of tithing to a waiter. I used to have to come behind him and leave money. You know? She gave the best way that she could. Have you thought about your own life, about your devotion? I, I, I told Becky this morning, we were walking through the house and and I said, you know, what's interesting is I was thinking about this teaching for some time and I was thinking about how can I make this point to the people? Really powerful, you know? So you'll go, oh, you know. And while I'm doing that, the Spirit of God just said to me, I mean, I'll hear a voice, but impression. Hey, this is for you. I'm just telling you out of my own journey here. I'm not telling you something just for, it's just for me. That, that as I look at life and I think about the things that I have or the influence that I have or the resources that I have or the life that I have, am I giving the best that I have to the best that I know in the best way that I can? That to me is the challenge. 
It means time. It means money. It means effort. It means resources. It means my values and how I live. It's interesting here. So we, we don't have time to do this right now, but you could do it later. Think about, well, if you talked around, how could a person apply this passage? How could you give the best that you have? The best that you have. To the best that you know. In the best way that you can. How could you do that? What would that look like? You know what it might? Is, let me give you some possibilities here. It might be that it might take a lot of faith for you. To say, tomorrow when I get up, I'm not going to immediately begin to think about work. I'm going to reset the default. That I'm going to give the best that I have this morning. Maybe 10 minutes, 5. I don't, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not telling what time it is. But the best of my day, the beginning of my day, to begin to spend some time with Jesus, either praying or reading a devotional book. You know, what, 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 how would that, you say, I'm, I'm not going to start thinking about work. I'm not, I'm not going to allow that to happen tomorrow. Or, or the best that I have. You know, maybe my dad taught me to do this. I'm not saying you have to do this. But, but whenever I get paid, whenever I get paid, the first check I want to write is my tithe check. Out of all, you know, you, that's one way. The best that you have. Maybe, maybe it would be to say, you know, this week at work or this week at home, the best that I have is some influence. Some people listen to me or I have some influence or leadership. That, that this week, starting this week, I'm going to look at ways that I can use my influence to honor Jesus at work. Whether it is that I'm not going to let other people talk to me about other people or I'm not going to in, engage in things that I feel like are not honoring to God. How could you do that this week? The best that you have. Yeah, Annette. I've just been listening to you talk about this extravagant kind of love, and I've been thinking about David. Yes. Dance coming in, and it was just so improper, and how God loved that, and how they're they're different. Yeah. His was really spontaneous, and obviously Mary had the plan. Where did she get the money? How did she afford to buy this? But they were both just so extravagant. Yeah. You remind me, yeah, she's talking about when David, when the ark came back in, in, in the Old Testament and David dances before the Lord, he kind of loses all sense of what's going on. There's another story in that, uh, that book where David says this to his men. They're out encamped. They're out encamped. And he says this, Oh, that I could drink from the well of Bethlehem, where he grew up, where I've been. <laughs> and some of y'all have been. <laughs> Recently. Oh, that I could drink from the, from the well at Bethlehem. Second Samuel. And some of his guys hear that. And they cut through enemy lines and get under, you know, and do a little commando raid. And they go and get him some water from the well at Bethlehem. Go read this. And when he gets it, remember what he does? He pours it out to the Lord. And said, this is too holy for me to drink. This is Kodesh, set apart. Not profane, not cold. Not, not the, uh, the Hebrew word for, for, for holy is set apart. And the opposite of holy is common. Cold is the Hebrew word. 
He pours it out every drop. That's devotion. This is what Mary did. She didn't give half of it or part of it. She gave all. Now, I don't, again, I don't know what that means in your life or my life. What I do know is that our devotion is going to be limited to the best that we have, to the best that we know, to the best way we can do it. For Mary, it's Jesus. For our lives, what is it? Devotion operates that way. Now let's look here real quick. I want to hurry here. The deception of Judas. The devotion of Mary and the deception of Judas. Whenever Judas sees this, I remember reading this years and years ago, and the thought occurred to me. It's just my idea here. That extreme devotion will sometimes cause deception to get manifested. It can't stand it. It's almost as if when Judas sees this happen, he can't keep quiet about it. Now, Mark and Matthew tell the disciples were talking like this. You can go look and read that. But that this matter... Of, so Judas says, this, Hey, why does this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Doesn't that sound like a religious person? <laughs> you know what? It's right. Should we care for the poor? You bet. Jesus will say something about that here in a second. But this idea of, if you will, posturing. This is an act of devotion that is white, hot, with love to God. This is an act of devotion that, wow, that's amazing. Now, we either can see that and honor it and and engage in it or resist it. This is what Judas does. I think sometimes... Real acts of devotion can trouble us. Well, you know, that's not very practical. I understand that. There's a dialectical tension here, I know. I remember a a young man I led to the Lord years ago. He was a crazy guy in Lake Charles, Louisiana. His name was Bobby Lejeune. In Louisiana, you don't call it Lejeune. You call it Lejeune. He'd been a drug addict and a musician. He had allegedly where the story was, he had allegedly one night in a nightclub in an electrical storm in Bossier City, Louisiana, which is the Las Vegas of the East. He stood up on a table in an electrical storm and dared God to strike him dead. He was interesting. I met him later, after he had not been killed. He told me all the guys that were drunk, they all got under the table and scared him to death. After that, I met him through his family and led him to Christ. And he was as wild for Jesus as he was for the devil. Every time you saw Bobby, he had a hallelujah. Hallelujah! You know, I mean, like that, not like hallelujah. You know. he, was at, he played drums for us in the church. That was a wonderful thing. Some of the saints loved that. You know. Yeah. I reminded him this is the same reaction whenever they brought the piano in the church. You're just not old enough to remember that. Um, So Bobby was playing the drums, and I remember one Easter Sunday, Bobby would always say, hallelujah, praise the Lord, you know, like that. Listen, he'd been brought out of incredible darkness. And on an Easter Sunday, he's walking across the front, maybe not the smartest thing to do, churches filling up, lots of new people. He's walking across the platform up here over to his drums, and he goes, and I say, hallelujah, he is risen. 
Now, a couple people came to me and said, now, Pastor, that's just inappropriate. <laughs> I really have a bad ear here. So would you say that again? If there was ever a day that is appropriate, it's today. You know, sometimes we can hide behind proper. Sometimes we can hide behind things that appear right. Can I say this? When Judas makes this statement, it's obvious, John tells us, he's a thief. Can you ever appear to be doing the right thing for the wrong reason? Can you ever appear to be correct on the outside, but on the inside, things are all messed up? See, see, Judas here reveals some deception. There's, a, there's an inner core that's out of whack here. He's got the right answers and the right statements, but on the inside, it's all wrong. You know, we, we, we got to be careful about this. We got we to realize that, that sometimes when acts of devotion occur, that this creates, if you will, if we're not careful, deception. You know, we'll, we'll say stuff like, uh, you know, I've, I've heard... People talk about, well, you know, we should care about the poor. Absolutely we should care about the poor. And I say, well, how much have we been given? Uh, nothing. That's the right answer. But the inside isn't lining up. I mean, I, I think this happens to us often where we say things that are correct, you know. But on the inside, there's no match with that. I was talking to somebody just the other day. The last several years, as I've gotten older, and I am getting older, the last several years what's happening is, is when I'm tempted to do something or drawn in a different direction, I don't ask myself, now that's wrong, isn't it, Cliff? You shouldn't do that. I ask, what is it in my heart that's being drawn that direction? What's going on in here? I'm... I'm not worried about the outward behavior. I'm, I'm real, okay, here's what I'm being tempted or drawn to do. Now, I could just say, stop that, don't do that. And that would stop the action. But there's something animating that, isn't there? There's something inside to say, what is happening to my heart? How's it being drawn in this direction, or drawn over in this way? Now, there are lots of you know, people say, well, you know, sinful nature. I, I, I'd like to think about that some more. Because we can say the right thing. But on the inside, it's not lining up. My dad used to say to me at different times, I think this will illustrate this. He said, Cliff, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. When I say, I love you, <laughs> doesn't sound like it. <laughs> right? There's got to be the matching of tone and words. Becky said to me one time when I said, hey, Beck, 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 come here. She said, hey, you're calling me like you would our dog. <laughs> And I thought, you know, that's, I, I didn't mean that. It's not what we say, sometimes it's how we say it. In this same way, we can say things that sound right, but inwardly, they're not lined up. Th this posturing, now, let, let's hurry on, we can be finished today. We can actually finish this. I know. The defense of Jesus. The devotion, the deception, and the defense. Notice <clears throat> here, I had a song I forgot about Chris. Where is Chris? Okay, well, <clears throat> we'll do that here in a second. Notice what Jesus said. Let her alone. Let her alone so that she may keep it 
for the day of my burial, for you always have the poor with you, but you don't always have me. You know, when I read that, I, I, I kept looking at it thinking, okay, what is Jesus saying here? <clears throat> well, well, one thing he's saying is that he's accepting this act of devotion. That the heart of this person is what Jesus is looking at and observing. He's, he, he's accepting this extravagant, if you will, act of devotion to, to Him. And it says, let her alone, she may keep it for the day of my burial. I, I wonder, I, as I've worked through the, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke on this, I, I thought about this. There is some evidence to suggest that in the ancient world, women were always the ones who prepared bodies for burial. That was sort of their ability to, to do that. And it looks like in the, the, the synoptic, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it looks like in the synoptics that one of the things that happens is they take Jesus off the cross very quickly because it's the Sabbath. They're going to go break his legs to kill him to make sure he's dead. They've got to get him off of that thing, get him off the cross because of the Sabbath. So there's this huge rush to get him in the tomb. Now, John tells us Nicodemus brought some spices and things like that. But there is some question as to whether or not what they just did is put all that stuff in the tomb. And Mark tells us that when the women came to the tomb, they came to anoint his body. Think about this. Mary's act of devotion is something she does that had she not, would have never happened. Would have never happened. If we're reading this, and I'm trying to read the other accounts, that nobody had time to anoint His body. Because they're getting Him off the cross in a hurry. And she's saying, leave her alone. She's anointing my body for burial. You know, when I read this, I kept thinking, my own life, are, are there times when my calculation, my practical side of me, my judgment of the situation causes me to miss the greatest opportunity I could have ever had? Did Mary, she didn't know I'm sure, but did, did Mary then have the opportunity that, that, that no one else would ever have to anoint the body of Jesus because she didn't wait, she didn't think, well, this is too much or this is too quick, I'll do it now. Remember the poem, the saddest words of tongue or pen are these. It might have been. The saddest words of both tongue and pen are these. It might have been. It might have been that if I would have done that, that this would have happened. Or it might have been that had I gone ahead and said, hey, you know, this is okay, do this. Now, I, I know there are other verses that talk us about planning for the future and, and dealing with realities, but I think that my life gets so measured and gauged at times that at the moment when I can do something, when it's present, when it's possible, I miss the opportunity. She didn't. Her devotion drove her to do it now, not wait. 
Not calculate, not, not just constantly try to be figuring out things, but to say, my devotion, my love, that Jesus is the treasure to the extent that I'm going to do it now. I know we've all had experiences, haven't we, when we thought of something to do and we didn't. And later we go, wish I had. Wish I had. I was in line the other day at the Lowe's, or the, uh, yeah, Lowe's. Becky drugged me in there because she needed some tools. And... Uh, <laughs> We go in there. This was weird. This was a weird experience. And there's a guy, uh, looks like he's from another country, for his accent and all, and is buying a box fan. And I'm thinking, now why would you buy a box fan? Because you're American. You know, I'm, I'm guessing. And, and so he's got there, and he's paying with a, it's like a, it's a $120 bill. Pulls it at $120. And I'm standing there and I'm thinking, do I need to buy this for this guy? Do I, do I need to just go ahead? And, and I'm kind of standing there and it, 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 I just didn't. Now, the funny thing was, when we got out in the parking lot, he got into a Lexus 330. <laughs> so I was glad I didn't. <laughs> I said to Becky, he's driving a 10 times better car than we are. That's why he's driving it. He's frugal. <laughs> but you know, I'm standing there at Lowe's thinking, what should I do? You know, pay it forward. You know, when, when you know somebody's going through a situation and you say, I'm going to send you this gift. Or, we're, I, let me say, I'm too calculating with my life for Jesus. I, there are other verses talk about being responsible, being careful, provide for your family. I, please, you, under, you know me better than that. But probably in a thousand different ways and a thousand different times, we miss opportunities to do something for Jesus that we will never get to do it again with that person or that situation. I'm trying to learn to live in the moment. Jesus isn't saying, don't care for the poor. Don't, I mean, I heard people. He's just saying, look, you're going to have plenty of opportunities to help the poor in the future. Okay? And we should. And that's our duty as followers of Jesus. But he's saying, right now, do this. Right now, do this. I want to ask you to try something this week. Just doesn't have to be crazy. I'm not selling mortgage your house. Or sell your car, unless you want to give it to me. But so, you know, I'll take good care of it. Do something in the moment this week. It could be as little as buying the coffee behind the yard bird that's behind you in Starbucks. You know, $3 coffee. I'm a gas station coffee drinker. <laughs> it could be buy that. It, it could be send a card to someone that you know has been struggling. You've thought about it, you just haven't done it. Now, now, Mary did this. For, th think about this. If, I'm reading this right, and if the other Gospels are giving us the information, she's the only person that had this ever this opportunity. No one ever unknown to Jesus' body. Again, they've got to wrestle with some of the synoptic this Gospels here. I, I, don't, I don't want to miss opportunities in the present 
to do something that would honor and glorify Jesus. Do you? Wouldn't you like to live a little more present? What, why don't you this week decide you're actually going to be present in the present? Why don't you actually, be, instead of calculating and thinking about what i got to do down here, but, but be present? And what is it in these moments that you and I could do? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, in this uh, dinner party, uh, we see ourselves at times. We're thankful for the example. We're thankful for the teaching here of what this uh, means in terms of our value system. We pray more than anything, Lord, that that we would find our lives uh, living a life of devotion and a life in the present. Make us alert. Help us to be attentive to where we might, if we're not careful, be deceptive to ourselves, maybe even to others. I pray, Jesus, that you will continue to be the treasure of our life. That these acts of devotion are normal, reasonable in our own thinking even, because of our treasuring you. Guide us this week. Help us not just to hear this and forget it, but to live it out. In Jesus' strong name I pray. Amen.